This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. As a freedom-loving American, what would you think about someone who said the following? We are not merely fighting to tear down the systems of oppression in the criminal justice system. We are fighting to tear down systems of oppression that exist in housing, in education, in health care, in employment, and in the air we breathe. Would you think that person was a brave freedom fighter living in North Korea? Or would you guess that those words were uttered by a woman elected to the U.S. Congress? If you guess B, you're right, because the person who recently said those insane words was none other than Minnesota Representative Ilhan Omar. What has happened to this country? A lot of us are asking this now. How did our nation go from a bastion of freedom and prosperity and Christian values to a nation that is being attacked in our streets and denounced in the American press by its own elected officials? My next guest understands why we're seeing these attacks on our freedom and our way of life. It comes with the increased acceptance and embrace of socialism. The key question now is, can this slide be stopped? We're going to discuss it today with former Senator Jim DeMint, creator of the Senate Conservative Conservatives Fund and chairman of the Conservative Partnership Institute. Today, we'll be discussing his great book, Saving America from Socialism, How to Stop Progressive Attacks on Freedom. And Senator DeMint, so great to have you with us. How are you today? Janet, I'm doing great. It's great to be back with you. And you and I have been talking about this slide towards socialism for a long time. And now it's it's upon us in a way it's it's never been before. Oh, I, I was thinking that same thing when I was preparing to talk to you today because you had written another great book several years back on stopping America's slide into socialism. And there were actually people there, you mentioned this in your new book, who really thought that was an overstatement. It was hyperbolic to talk about America even sliding into socialism. Are they believing you now, given what we're going through in this country? I think so, Janet, but sometimes the, the people don't understand what to call it. Uh, the young people particularly don't really even know what socialism is. Uh, but we've seen a good picture of it in the last few months as so many of the governors on the left and mayors have started to tell us what businesses are essential, uh, whether we can go to work or not, uh, whether we can go to church or not. And Americans have gone along with this as, as just a, a sense of citizenship. But I think more and more we're all seeing that this is what tyranny and socialism looks like when the government is running our lives. Right. You know, it's funny you mention that because you make a a reference to coronavirus, for example. We have kind of this dual thing going on. We have the pandemic and the shutdowns and shutdown of churches and things like that that you alluded to just then. And we also have what's going on in our streets. But you had mentioned in the course of your book this documentary I think you had seen where a Soviet official had mentioned one of the most impressive things to him about America was the grocery stores. And I remember that. and, And I was thinking, isn't that a perfect example in our own day that even though we were all running out of toilet paper, it came back, that that's something you wouldn't see in Venezuela, that the shelves would stay empty in Venezuela. That's right. I mean, a competitive free market system is not only good for uh, all of us in just an economic sense or lifestyle sense, 
the best offset to an overreaching, all-powerful government is a free market economic system where millions of people can make their own decisions about what they buy and sell, whether they open a business. And, and when, you, when the government begins to control the means of production, as they call it, control our economy, as we see happening right now, um, then that offset to government is, is completely gone. And these people and petty dictators in power, you see what their real desires are, and that's to control people. Yeah, it's right. So when we're looking across the country and we're seeing the turmoil in the streets from some of these Marxist organizations like Antifa and BLM and this Ilhan Omar ridiculous rhetoric, this insane rhetoric from her, did you ever think it would get to this point where it flooded out into our streets and it was even coming out of the mouths of congressmen? No, it's it's so absurd. It's so illogical and, and it's so much a lie that America is oppressive or America is racist. I mean, we know these things aren't true. We're not saying they're not problems in America, or certainly there's some crackpots somewhere that are racist, but there is no intentional systematic racism left in America except in the Democrat Party, where they use that as leverage to create victimhood and so that people will need government to protect them. Uh, but this this propaganda that America is oppressive is, is just ridiculous. And we need more people to speak out and tell the truth. And part of what I'm trying to do in Saving America from Socialism is help people to understand how good we've got it and why we've got it so good, why over 700 million people around the world right now want to come to America. And it's not because we're oppressive. But people also need to understand the opposite of what we have, the socialism that controls so many countries around the country, I mean, around the world, that what we're being told about equality and justice and good for the poor is not true. It's never been true. And if you believe it, it's a very foolish thing. That's right. Well, let's talk a little bit about America and about what made America great in the first place. One of the things that you mentioned in the course of the book is, had it not been for the Reformation, we never would have gotten the freedom that we enjoy as Americans today. And that's one angle on all that. But we also have a long political history that shows when you employ the values that have made America great, you prosper and and you have such a good effect on the rest of the world the way America has over the course of the last 200 plus years. Can you talk a little bit about the greatness of America as it was founded and the principles that we put into place. Yes, I can, Janet, and it's so obvious if you're willing to look at it, and I talk a lot about it in the book, that faith and freedom are, are connected. They're two sides of the same coin. You can't have one really without the other, and the Reformation is what gave people spiritual freedom uh, from a, a, a kind of hierarchical church at the time where it was uh, top-down management and the, and the people were told what they could believe and really couldn't read it for themselves. The Reformation changed a lot of that, where everyone understood that we can all go to God personally, He loves us personally, His Spirit indwells us personally, and that spiritual freedom leads to a, a really a just a demand, a, a desire for political and economic freedom as well, and it's always happened around the world. But America was built on that, and then there's a verse in the Bible that you can't have two masters. And what the left understands, and whether it was in China or Russia or whatever, if you want to control a country, you have to make government the master. Mm -hmm. And if people have a strong faith, they're not going to look to government for 
for the master. And, and so you find religion being wiped out in all the areas where they want socialism and tyranny to work. And America was different because we were built from the ground up of millions of people who were strong in, in their faith and, and making their own decisions. And, and they resisted a centralized power telling them what to do. Yeah. And that's the big difference today, Janet, is those who believe that America is a top-down, centrally controlled country or one that's built from the bottom up with millions of people making their own decisions every day about what they want to do. Yeah, that's so true. And when you look at something like the Protestant work ethic, which came out of the period of the Reformation, it seems to me that's something we ought to be discussing a lot more than we do as well, because the Protestant work ethic, in many respects, was what made this country great, too, because you had all of these people who said, I need to work and that glorifies God and what I do in my job matters. And and look what the country ended up becoming because of people who really were willing to put in that work ethic. That's fading away, it seems, as we become more secular. It is. The Judeo-Christian values, a lot of the traditional values of America is, is that paradigm that if people understand it, they can become successful. Even someone born in poverty with a single mom, if they, if they just know the work ethic, if, if they go to church with their parents, uh, if they graduate high school without having children, there are just a few things that, that can put people on a path to success regardless of where they start. But unfortunately, too many young people today are being taught this leftist paradigm that you're a victim, that somebody owes you something, that you have an excuse for, for not succeeding. And, and if you do that, you, you, you just destroy a person's ability to become successful. And then they blame everybody else, like Omar is, is doing. Is, is You look at the problems and you blame it on the environment around you rather than yourself. Yeah, really important point. We're going to come back to this discussion. Senator Jim DeMint with us. Saving America from Socialism is his book. We'll come right back on Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mefford. We're joining with Bible League International, a ministry founded in 1938 to send God's Word to Bibleless believers in Asia. Today, you can send a new Christian her very first Bible in her own language and at a level she can understand. Before last year, Malia in Sri Lanka had never heard the name of Jesus. Now she follows him and is determined to share Christ with everyone she meets, even those living in the grips of spiritual darkness who are hostile to the gospel. But she needs her own Bible. And you can be the one to center the hope of God's Word. By giving now, you'll also help us meet our shared goal with Bible League of sending 1,200 Bibles to Asia. All it takes is $5, or $100 sends 20 Bibles. Call 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Just look for Fan the Flame Bibles for Asia. Thank you for caring. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible 
medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Great to have you with us and great to have with us Senator Jim DeMint. He is out with a fantastic book, Saving America from Socialism, How to Stop Progressive Attacks on Freedom. And we really need your voice at this hour, Senator DeMint. It's so great to have you here. You were talking about what made America great in the first place. And and you do discuss in your book that we really need to recapture these ideas of responsibility and risk and sacrifice that so many of our forebears put into practice so we could have the country that we have today. And yet we have the problem of government dependence. You also talk about how Republicans have been a big part of this problem. You saw this firsthand when you were in the Senate. Yes, I did. And so many people now that I'm talking to around the country just are asking, why aren't Republicans standing up and refuting this ridiculous nonsense that we're hearing from these thugs and rioters? And uh, why aren't they standing up? And I know some of them are, Janet, and there's just no very little news coverage of of anyone who's standing up saying the right thing. But by and large, I mean, Republicans have been a part of the swamp in Washington. Uh, their platform is more consistent with what you and I believe. But we haven't had the courage factor there that the, the Democrats so often have, is really standing up and will be willing to risk your political career to tell the truth. And, and that's what people are yearning for right now. You and I know the verse, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Yeah. But so much of what's going on now are just obvious lies, and we need leaders who are willing to stand up and refute it and just take the abuse that's going to come when you're not politically correct. Right. Oh, I couldn't agree more with you. We need an army of people who will stand up and have the courage to say these things. But one of the things that you outline is the fact that over time we've seen the Republicans get on board more and more, sometimes wittingly, sometimes unwittingly, with more and more government spending, more and more uh, you know, handouts, as it were. Can that be reversed? Is there still the conviction, would you say, across the party on the issue of fiscal conservatism and, and fighting socialism as a side effect of, of em- embracing fiscal conservatism? Yeah, there is. Uh, but it's more at the bottom level around the country of aspiring young conservatives who, who want to get in local, state, and federal government. And as I travel around the country, I feel like the Republican Party is alive and well. But once you get to Washington, uh, all everything up there pushes in the wrong direction, even the Republican leadership. Uh, they, they may campaign on fiscal responsibility, but once they're there, the, the, the way to please people and big business particularly is often to spend more money. And sometimes you hear the Republicans in, in the Senate now saying, well, well, this is better than it was when it came out of the House, so we're going to vote for it. But now they're talking trillions and trillions of dollars that are not just being borrowed. Yeah. This money is being printed. It's being printed out of thin air. And I think we're leaving the next generation with huge fiscal problems in our country. But there's still time. And the whole last part of this book, Janet, is the plan to save America from socialism, what individuals can do, whether they're in politics or not, what we can do in Washington. A big part of what we do with the conservative partnership is just help help 
conservatives stay strong, get good staff around them, train their staff, get them together, give them camaraderie and fellowship, because Washington is so isolating if, if you're trying to do the right thing. So uh, there's, there's a lot all of us can do at every level, and that's what I want people to know is that, uh, I mean, this is in God's hands, and we certainly have to pray, but a part of a living with a spirit of gratefulness and knowing that we're blessed, blessed is so opposed to what's going on today where people are taking the opposite tack. So I hope people just read this because we need an army of citizens who understand and love America, but they also understand and know why they should hate socialism and central control. Well, I agree with that. And I would think that the uptick in support for socialism that alarms so many conservatives would give us even more conviction that we should be really strong on this issue of spending other people's money that we don't have, because that's the essence of what we're refuting when we're looking at socialism. And yet you see Republicans and even people who claim to be conservative. Oh, yeah, as long as I can get a government handout, that's fine. It, It doesn't seem like many people really push back against that anymore? Are there a lot of entities out there right now saying, I don't really want a loan from the government. I don't want a handout from the government. I'll do it myself. How do we recapture that attitude? Because that attitude alone would go a long way in solving some of this. It, it sure would. And a lot of people instinctively know that. And we just need to say, hey, wait a minute, this is crazy. We can't keep spending and printing and borrowing money. All we're doing is, is just spending our kids and grandkids' future away. Yeah. And I think what's happens in Washington is you know at some point the music's going to stop and things are going to collapse, but you don't think it's going to happen while you're there. Right. And, and, and that really is, is the attitude, is we know that there is going to be a, a, an economic monetary collapse at some point. There's no plan to ever stop spending more than we're bringing in, but I think it's just more of it's going to happen you know, way out in the future, just like they thought with the fiscal crisis in 08, Janet, we had just had a, a hearing with Bernanke on the banking committee that I was on in the Senate a few weeks before this happened, and he said everything in the subprime market is okay. Wow. So these guys are going to deny it until there's a collapse. But the left doesn't mind a collapse, Janet, because every time there's a crisis, just like right now, they take more power. And, and the, the banks that brought down the economy in 2008, they ended up with more power after it was all over. Yes, so, yes. But again, we shouldn't be discouraged. Again, we, we, we need to pray. A lot of it's in God's hands, but I consider uh, all of us part of God's body in, in this earth, our hands and feet and the things we say. So we just need to go out and be faithful and speak up mm-hmm. and tell the truth and, um, and just uh, leave the rest to the Lord. Well, we have to do that. And and the collapse, the potential collapse of the economy, as we you know, are worried about this printing money that we don't have, there's also been a collapse in values. And I know we touched on that a little bit. But can you talk about the importance of the role of the church in the midst of everything that's going on? If you don't have undergirding our system of government with this you know, Judeo-Christian values, how in the world do you maintain it? And, and what would you say on that score? Well, I'm afraid I'm a pretty, I'm pretty negative on the American church right now. I mean, the uh, religious leaders, faith leaders, have largely taken a background. They're the ones that are quiet. Yep. I mean, as I know in someone in elected office, if I went out and talked about biblical morality and any specifics at all, I mean, it was rare that a pastor would ever back me up or speak out or write an op-ed. 
And gosh, if, if there's anything missing in America that could be put back by citizens and by faith leaders, is just get the church engaged with willing to talk about politics, willing to talk about morality, and, 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 and how being loving and forgiving can actually work with pointing out things that are wrong and, and, and tear down a nation. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just, I, I know that there are a lot of people of faith around the country. Everywhere I go, people will grab me and say, I'm praying for you. And so they're there. But I just don't think we have enough um, faith leaders right now who are willing to speak out about the obvious absurdities and immorality now that are being taught. Uh, to our children and talk to our citizens uh, all around the country. Amen. That's a huge problem. I agree. It's because everybody's going woke. See, it's all about being woke and doing everything that the world is doing. And that's a whole nother subject for another interview. But I agree with you. That's that's a huge problem we have right now. Some of the solutions, though, that you talk about, I think, are very important. One of which, of course, is electing good people to serve in government and making sure that conservatives are supported. Can you speak on that a little bit? Because when you're mentioning that you didn't have enough faith leaders and pastors backing you up when you would talk about biblical morality, what should especially Christians do to back up conservatives who are currently serving in Washington? It's really important. For years, I worked on the election side, getting people elected. But then I saw once they got there, even good people, if they're not supported, they, they tend to find the easiest route after a while. And, and so that's why we started Conservative Partnership, is just realizing that they need a place to come where they can meet. But they need to get a lot of attaboys from the folks back home. Most of the people who call your office as a congressman or a senator are calling to complain about something. But whenever you, if you, at the end of the day, if I get a little list of people who called and encouraged me and said, attaboy, saw you on TV, I appreciate what you're saying, stand strong. I mean, that means a lot. And particularly when people come back to their districts or states. When the citizens there or greet them and thank them uh, and encourage them for doing the right thing, because if you if you make a right decision up there, generally you're hearing from the, the big guys, the big teachers union or whatever, who are criticizing you if you're doing the, the right thing. So citizens need to give their folks support, pay attention to what they're doing and help them uh, stay accountable. Uh, but in Washington, doing the right thing uh, usually ends up with a lot of abuse. So if you do the right thing, hopefully your constituents will let you know. I think that's very important, for sure. You know, something else that I know has been very important to you and to a lot of us conservatives is the Convention of States. Where does that project stand at the moment? Well, they're still going uh, full speed. Uh, Actually, they're close to getting their 16th uh, state in Michigan right now. And uh, I I put it in in the book because uh, if folks need to understand that federalism, the states... The whole idea of the United States is that the states have a lot of autonomy and power, and, the, and our founders realized that we might come to a point where the federal government was out of control, and the states would have to come together and, and put the, the federal government back in its original box. So the, the idea of the Convention of State is not that we want a new constitution. We just want the one that we had actually carried out. And so it, it's moving along, and, and you, this is something that doesn't require the federal government to do anything or governors to do anything. State legislators uh, can can pass this, call a convention, and then just get some simple things like fiscal restraints or term limits. And so um, I, I'm still optimistic. I support them as a volunteer whenever I can speak or, or write for them. Uh, but my main job right now is just working to support the, 
the good folks in, in Washington who are trying to do the right thing and just make sure that we give them the tender loving care they need to stay in the arena. That's excellent. Senator Jim DeMint, great book, Saving America from Socialism. So good to talk to you again, Senator DeMint. Thanks a lot for being with us. Thank you, Janet. All right. Take care and God bless. We'll be right back. This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford Today, and now here's Janet. Welcome back. Isaiah 40, verse 8 tells us the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. But now think about this. Think how casually we tend to hear that verse and then say, yes, the word of God. I have five or six different versions of it right up there on my shelf. Well, it's not that way everywhere. And in fact, in Asia, there is a great need for Bibles. That is why we are asking you as a Janet Mefford Today listener to please help us get 1,200 Bibles into the hands of believers in Asia who don't have them. They need your help. Each Bible only costs $5 or you can send seven Bibles for $35. This is all to help Bible League International make that transaction from getting the word of God from your generous donations into the hands of believers in Asia. All you have to do is call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. We're going to find out more now about what's been going on among believers in Asia, particularly in India, from Michael Woolworth, who is Senior Director of Broadcast Media at Bible League International. Michael, welcome to you. It's great to have you with us. Well, Janet, I appreciate all you do, and what an honor for us at Bible League to uh, do kingdom business with you and your generous listeners. Great well, to be with you today. It's wonderful to have you here, and the honor is ours. Tell people about Bibles for Asia. Why is Asia such an incredibly important area of the world right now to focus on when it comes to sending Bibles? Well, it's here where Christianity is growing fastest around the globe. Africa's number two, Latin America would be number three, and yet watchdog groups that keep an eye on religious life around the world would tell us that arguably Asia is the region of the world where it's difficult to live out your religious faith. Think about uh, India and China right now. And so we're focused here because at Bible League, we estimate that as few as one Christian in 10 has a Bible. It means what? That 90% of professing evangelical believers cannot open the Bible uh, on a daily basis and and read uh, scriptures like Proverbs 4. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Yet that's a luxury that you and I have on a daily basis. So Janet, um, I've called your listeners. I've thanked them. And you know, several of them have said when I said, hey, it's a difficult time to give. Why'd you give? They'll say things like, you know what? It's intolerable to me to think that there are Christians half a world away in Asia who go without God's word. So we're doing something about it through this campaign, Fan the Flame. Yeah, it's wonderful. And we're so grateful for each and every listener who's been able to give in the past. $5 is all it takes to send one Bible. It's 800-YES-WORD. Michael, how is it that these believers in Asia, particularly in India, and I want to hear specifically about India, get these Bibles? And how difficult is it for them to obtain them? Because again, we're talking about a situation that is very foreign to American Christians. 
Yeah, well, let's linger uh, in uh, India right now. 1.3 billion people call India home. This is the land of uh, Gandhi. I mean, long gone are the days when he uh, touted a, a nonviolent uh, Hinduism. Uh, but there's anti-conversion uh, laws on the books, which, which prevent Christians from even sharing their faith with a neighbor. I know Sam Brownback in the uh, Trump administration is really pushing the uh, prime minister there, Mr. Modi, to, to uh, sort of relax some of the enforcement of that, and they're planning to do that very strongly uh, in 2021. But um, corrupt governments, there's majority religions in this part of the world that, again, prevent the spread of the gospel, prevents people from getting a basic copy of the Bible. But let me tell you a story of a woman by the name of Lalitha. If you know the name Lalitha, if you're acquainted with Hinduism through your Religion 101 class, you know that that is a uh, a top-tier goddess uh, in Hinduism. But Lalitha's story is this, Janice. She was born uh, near the village where Ravi Zacharias uh, was born uh, in coastal India. She was raised to Hindu, uh, so she knew all about dharmas and karmas. This was her life, forced into an arranged marriage at a very young age. Her husband died tragically in an accident. This left her homeless, and she was uh, sold into a prostitution ring, very sadly, for no more than 10,000 Indian rupees, about 130 U.S. dollars. She lived in utter hopelessness for several years. And of course, you would if you were in, uh, in, involved in human trafficking against your will, uh, until a woman Uh, a former prostitute who received a Bible in a previous Bible League campaign, came to Saving Faith, learned to share her faith, did exactly that with this woman, Lalitha, who came to Saving Faith as well. And she said, when I learned that the the great lover of my soul is Jesus, she said, peace and hope flooded my heart. Mm -hmm. And she said, I wanted that for others as well. And so she learned to share her faith. She went through Project Philip. That's uh, the cornerstone of our global ministry. It's uh, the Gospel of John, Christianity 101, paired together in a six-by-nine booklet. It takes about eight to 12 weeks to go through that. Uh, they'll go through that in a group setting, Janet, uh, usually led by a pastor or a layperson uh, in there, there in uh, coastal India. Uh, they're connected with the local evangelical church, and so we're with them every step of the way. And these are always under-resourced churches, right? They don't have the means to be able to buy Bibles and materials like this. They don't lack joy. They don't lack uh, zeal for Christ. They lack the resources to, to, uh, to get these things. And so that's where Bible League comes along. Let me tell you Lilitha's story in conclusion. Before she died, Janet, she had a zeal for Christ. She led about 100 former Hindus to faith in Christ and she died tragically of AIDS, something that she was afflicted with during those years of human trafficking. And the prayer is for the Word of God in the Tamil language, and that's what God has allowed Bible League to do, the heavy lifting, if you will, to be able to do the translation work and to create the relationships on the ground in India. And our prayer today is the lighter lifting, if you will, will come together, and we can let these new Christians know as a result of the faithful witness and the wonderful grace of God, those Bibles you're praying for, they're coming. They're coming. I love that. $5 is all it takes to send a Bible. 1,200 is the number we're looking for. We're shooting for 1,200 Bibles to send to Asia. Places like India, places like China are in such dire need of receiving God's word. All you need to do is call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-W-O-R-D. That's 800-YES-WORD. And of course, you can give more than $5. And if you'd like to, we would certainly welcome that. $35 will send seven Bibles. And you can do the math from all 
on there on up. So any amount you'd like to give today, we would welcome it to help Bible League International get the word of God into the hands of so many believers who are praying for Bibles right now. There's also a banner to click at JanetMeffer.com. You know, I'm curious to ask you, Michael, how great is the need in India? Just from a numbers perspective, how many believers are there? How many churches? You know, we're aiming for 1,200 Bibles, but of course, as many as we can send, we will love to help you get those Bibles into the hands of those believers. But how many are there who are waiting for Bibles? Well, you know, with a population of 1.3 billion, most people uh, in India follow a Hindu, Hinduism. If you're a, a relatively new Christian, you're likely a former Hindu. It's it's likely that your family rejected you when you embraced Jesus. You know, they see you as betraying the family. They really want nothing to do with you. I can tell you many people that uh, that, that has happened to. You know, when, when the women remove the uh, the bindi, the red dot from the forehead, that 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 almost always means complete rejection, a complete shunning of, by their families. There are millions of Christians. There are many, many churches. Uh, we, we serve a lot in the coastal area, and I can tell you, uh, most of these churches, they have a two or three or four Bibles. Uh, we're hoping to get Tamil Bibles into the hands of these 100 new believers we just mentioned. <laughs> uh, but I can tell you, uh, that's their prayer. I've said this before. They're not asking for us to drill a well. They're not asking for food or medicine. All of those have their place. In fact, as a global ministry, our paths cross with many uh, organizations, both Christian and secular, that do those things very, very well. But I like to say, when we make this plea to your listeners, it really takes the people of God to, to see the great need to get the Word of God into the hands of these new believers. Why? Because the odds seem to be stacked against you. When you look at Christianity in so many of these Asian countries, it's a very small percentage of the population that makes up Christianity. But I can tell you, it's stories like these, Janet, that remind us the gospel's going forth. Hey, isn't that great that during this pandemic, we can remind your listeners the gospel is going forth today, and the prayer from these new believers Again, it's not for an end to all the suffering that they endure. It's for the Word of God. You can do that to the tune of $5. Think of the things we've spent $5 on in recent months, you know, hand sanitizer, toilet <laughs> tissue, uh, those sorts of things. It's a very, very common uh, spending level, and yet to think that $5 will put God's precious Word into the hands of one of these new 100 believers in India today. Well, we really, really want to get to that magic number of 1,200 Bibles altogether. But you're right, $5 is all it costs to send a Bible. All you need to do is pick up your phone and call 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there is a banner to click at JanetMeffer.com. Help us help Bible League International get the Word of God into the hands of the people of God. Michael Wilbur, thank you so much for what you do, my friend. Thanks for being here. Uh, joy to be with you. Thanks, Janet. All right. God bless you. Once again, 800-YES-WORD. We'll be right back on Janet Mufford today. Many people in developing nations have no access to desperately needed medical care. That's why Mercy Ships brings volunteers aboard our hospital ship, the Africa Mercy, to give the world's forgotten poor the free medical care they need. We have an immediate need for registered nurses, especially with a pediatric specialty. As a volunteer nurse, you won't just give life-altering health care, you'll receive so much in return. It's an amazingly rewarding experience. You'll give hope and make a difference in the lives of those who have virtually no access to medical aid. 
It's such a fantastic thing to do. Everybody who I've met on this ship either wants to come back and do it again or they're already here for the second, third, or tenth time. So what are you waiting for? Show mercy to someone today. I would say go for it. Get more information and learn how to apply by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. That's mercyships.org forward slash nurses. The Ministry of Preborn is dedicated to helping save preborn babies from abortion through ultrasound and even in this time of national crisis. Preborn is there. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn. No college classes and sheltering in have led to an explosion of unplanned pregnancies. Women are panicked about their pregnancies and wanting to abort. Our crisis line is the busiest it's ever been. Here's Catherine, one of our crisis line operators. Girls are scared and often seek an abortion as an easy way out. Girls are often desperate being pregnant in this pandemic. With your help, we are able to be here for them. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct competition to Planned Parenthood. Would you join Preborn in the cause for life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Call 855-402-BABY. Thank you. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Well, I think for the last couple of weeks, I've been more than a little bit depressed about the Bostock decision. And that has been such a wallop against Christians, I think, when we've considered what the implications of that case will become. The Bostock decision, if you've forgotten or hadn't heard, the Bostock decision was the recent Supreme Court ruling that said, hey, we're going to become Congress and we're just going to write a new law. And we have a federal law in place that defines sex as sex. And it was put into practice in 1964 when nobody ever talked about things like sexual orientation or gender identity, made up terminology, by the way. But now we're just going to expand the definition of sex and federal civil rights law to include sexual orientation and gender identity. And as soon as that case was handed down, the first thing that went through my mind, and I believe the minds of many other people, was this. Wait a minute. If they have just said you can't discriminate under federal civil rights law for sexual orientation or gender identity, what is that going to do to Christian schools? What will that do to churches? If you can't discriminate in hiring, does that mean churches, Christian schools, Christian ministries, Christian camps will have to hire homosexuals and transgenders? Otherwise, they'll be sued? Well, thanks to another decision that has just been handed down by the Supreme Court this week, that may not be an issue any longer. Now, I'm not an attorney, but it would seem to me that this most recent decision that protects religious schools from these kinds of lawsuits may be good news for the rest of us. Here's a little bit of the detail on this. Our Lady of Guadalupe School in California was sued by a teacher, and there was a whole question over whether or not religious schools can fire religion teachers for any reason they wish. So when we talk about the ministerial exception, that's been in place for a long time. The idea that, you know, the government can't tell a Christian church or or any church really what they can do as far as, you know, intervening with another rabbi or pastor or priest suing the church, the government has said, yeah, listen, you know, we're not going to get involved in that kind of stuff. And now they've said we can't get involved in that if there's a teacher involved either. This is great. This is from the Washington Examiner. The case involved this ministerial exception, which exempts certain religious institutions from non-discrimination laws. This was a seven to two decision. 
majority opinion was written by Justice Alito, and the court held that the independence of religious institutions in matters of faith and doctrine is closely linked to independence in what the court has termed matters of church government. And for these reasons, the court found that in the interest of protecting the First Amendment, it should stay out of employment disputes. Alito wrote in the opinion that while the decision does not mean that churches and religious institutions are exempt from all secular laws, it is not the government's place to intrude upon their autonomy with respect to internal management decisions that are essential to the institution's central mission. This was actually a consolidation of several suits concerning whether or not Roman Catholic parochial schools can hire or fire religion teachers at will, regardless of considerations like age, race, or gender. The Supreme Court back about eight years ago had that Hosanna Tabor Evangelical Lutheran School, a church in school case against the EEOC. And at that time, you'll recall, they ruled that any church can fire any minister without regard to discrimination laws. Now, whether or not this will actually extend to protect us against Big Gay uh, still has to be maintained. I'm sure there will be they're going to fire back. They're going to try to do something, pass some law, invoke some privilege, do this, get, you know, expand the Supreme Court to include 27 judges so you can reverse this at the high court with the next case that comes along. You know, progressives also always have something in their back pocket to counter effect, you know, whatever the Supreme Court just did that was right. But in this case, they really, really, really got it right. And it is good news for Christians. This is a good thing to put on paper. It's a good thing for the high court to have ruled this way because it is for religious liberty. We don't want the government to get involved in church affairs. That's not our place. There is a separation of church and state, and sometimes it works out in the favor of the church. There was another case as well. This is a case I've been covering since the very beginning. This is the Little Sisters of the Poor ruling. And this was a really important case. You'll recall that it's about this group of nuns that works with the poorest of the poor. It's right there in their name. And they were affected by the Obamacare mandate that said you have to pay for contraceptive coverage and some of those contraceptions, uh, contraception medicines are actually abortifacient. So it was a big problem for them because it's directly against Roman Catholic teaching. So they've been fighting in court a long time. Now, this was interesting because one of the sisters was on recently with Fox News and along with her Beckett attorney, the vice president, Monsi Alvarado. And uh, Monsi Alvarado was asked, you know, what about the fact that you've already won this case at the Supreme Court just a few years ago against the Obama administration? Because it seems a lot of people have forgotten about it. This is what she said. Oh, yeah, they lost it big. Um, the Supreme Court told everyone that they had to accommodate the Little Sisters. They had to give them their big win in, in court. Um, and it was the Trump administration that changed the rule. And then the states that came after the Little Sisters for their religious exemption. And we're just grateful today that w that they're protected and that we know that people who object to have sincere religious objections are protected in America. And you regard this as a gigantic win for religious freedom. Truly, it really is. Um, a, a, a majority win, a 7-2. It, it really is um, a significant victory and a majority victory that everyone should be proud of. It's wonderful. Now, a sister from the Little Sisters of the Poor, Sister Constance Veit, was asked, hey, what would have happened if you had lost this case? This is important. Listen to cut two. Well, we calculated it out that the fines would have been about $70 million a year across all of our U.S. homes. We have 
uh, 25 homes here in the States. So that would have essentially um, had to end our mission because, I mean, who could afford $70 million in fines a year? But I do have to say that um, we always knew that God would protect us. We really trust in his providential care. And so we knew that somehow, someday he would work things out for us. Now, I think that that's just really part and parcel of what we ought to point out when we discuss how horrible progressivism is for the United States. I go all the way back to the passage of Obamacare, and I remember how we were assured by Bart Stupak. Remember Bart Stupak? Yeah, you probably forgot him because after this went sideways, he went back up to Michigan and hasn't been heard from since. But he was the congressman who was the head of the Blue Dog Democrats, the pro-life contingent who were the holdouts. They were the principled holdouts on passing Obamacare. Why? Because they did not want anything in Obamacare that would say that the American people who were pro-life would have to pay for abortions. And we were all saying, don't vote for it, don't vote for it, don't vote for it, don't vote for it. What are you doing? No, 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 no. Then he has some closed door meeting with Obama and he comes out and he says, I'm just so excited. I'm paraphrasing. I'm so excited because the president of the United States has assured us. He has assured us that there will be no tax dollars in Obamacare that will go toward abortion. And you know how we know this? Because President Obama says that he will sign an executive order that will protect us. And therefore, we're going to vote for Obamacare. And the sounds of screams across America, I'm sure, could be heard from those of us who had been following it closely. What are you doing, Bart Stupak? This is the dumbest thing you've ever done. And it was. Because what happened? Oh, yeah, well, you're going to have to pay for abortion. Oh, and yet you're going to have to pay for contraceptive coverage, even if you're a nun. And then you're going to have to pay $70 million a year, potentially, in order to get away with it. It's so insane, there are hardly any words for it. But they're a bunch of liars. Because that's what they did with Obamacare. We will not do anything to violate anybody's conscience. And here they were fighting all the way up to the Supreme Court against a group of nuns who are facing millions of dollars in fines in order to say, hey, you know, uh, we're Roman Catholics and we don't believe that uh, contraception is even an appropriate thing to do. It's against our church teaching and we don't want to cover it. And uh, by the way, it's not health care. I don't know if they said that. I threw that in. But it's not health care. It's not health care. Usually there can be some usages, obviously, of some certain types of medicines for other issues that women have. But I'm saying contraception as contraception is to stop babies from being born. Uh, They're nuns. The whole thing is insane. Here's something else that was insane. Sotomayor, Justice Sotomayor, made this dissent to this ruling and uh, on this issue of religious schools. I'm going back to the religious school case, but I just wanted to get this in on the point about progressives. Sotomayor, in her dissent to this ruling uh, uh, in favor of religious schools, called the court's decision simplistic because it allows a church to decide which of its employees are central to its religious mission and therefore not covered by anti-discrimination laws. Think about how insane that is. A church can't be allowed to decide which of its employees are central to its religious mission. I mean, these are people who simply do not understand Christianity, religion, Roman Catholicism, Protestantism, evangelicalism, or what have you. They don't even get it. Why would the church want to handle all the employees in a way that is central to their religious mission? I mean, we have higher stakes here, and that is not discriminating against fill-in-the-blank. They just don't get it. They, They don't get it at all. But the Supreme Court... 
deserves a tip of the hat. And praise be to God for these protections for our religious liberty. It matters tremendously, and I'm very, very glad to see it. You should be too. Thank you for joining us. We're going to leave it there. We'll see you next time here on Janet Meffer Today. This hour of Janet Meffer Today was brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD. Thank you so much.